Welcome to Shockers and Cuss Words, a podcast that dives into self-improvement, completing goals, and overcoming modern-day obstacles. I am your host, Catherine, and together we will address our fears, establish self-awareness, and complete self-growth through honesty and reflection. Remember to please like and share this podcast. Thank you. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Chakras and Cuss Words. And today I have my special guest, uh, Rebecca, or also known as Becky. And today we're going to be talking about um, taking the chance and rehabilitating your life with sobriety. So I'm going to let her go ahead and introduce herself to you guys. Hi guys, I'm Becky. Cat, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear oh, you fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> I know. Cool. It's, it's so weird, huh? It's <laughs> totally like... weird. I uh, can't see you, so I'm just gonna talk as needed. Uh, happy birthday, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. So go ahead and kind of let everybody know um, a little bit about you, and just kind of give us a little back of you and like your story and stuff. Okay. Um, hi, guys. I'm Becky. I think I just said that, but uh, I am <laughs> sober. I've been sober for a little over 12 years. Um, I am a part of a 12-step program, a uh, single mother. Um, I don't know if you want me to, like, tell my story, Kat. Like, tell me a little bit about what you yes. know. Yeah, so, um, so with like the sobriety, I would say that um, I know I've kind of talked about it on the show of, you know, a lot that I still, you know, I still drink, but um, I'm very conscious of it because I feel that um, for me, it can go like either like where I'm not paying attention to it. And next thing you know, I've like been drinking nonstop for about uh, like a week or something, you know, and I'm kind of, I re- like one of those uh, drinkers who it takes a lot for me to get drunk, I right, guess you could right. say. So I never really um, have like a cutoff until either I pass out or like, I'm like, okay, I could go to bed now. And um, because of drinking, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Like um, I've actually, um, have had, you know, battles with alcohol and stuff. And also both my parents um, tend to drink. So my dad used to be an alcoholic and it was a very uh, volatile um, experience with him when he was drunk. He would get um, sometimes abusive and sometimes uh, just not very friendly, I guess you could say, which it's funny because that's not who he is. Like he's actually one of the most loving people ever but when he was drinking and on that path it just really was like it wasn't even him where my mom still drinks um and she drinks probably like every day but she's more of like I guess you could say an Italian drinker (laughs) I don't know like she likes her she likes her wine with her meals you know what I mean and she has reduced a lot from having like a half a bottle of wine to maybe, um, you know, a couple glasses, I would say, 
or, right. you know, maybe she used to have more. So she always says like, I'm a functioning alcoholic, just kind of leave me alone. You know what I mean? So I right. have, I don't ever like say you should drink so much, you know, whatever, but yeah. So I guess my question would be like, how, like, how did you know that you needed sobriety? Like, how did you know that the only way that you were going to stop drinking was through sobriety I mean, and or a, not stop drinking, but, you know, kind of tame the alcoholism. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think that like when you are an alcoholic, you get to a space, right? You get to the space where it's like uh, drinking obviously is your solution, right? Like for me, I started using drugs and drinking when I was in seventh grade. And, right. um, you know, you could you could point things like some people have like really traumatic young uh, experience from family and parents. And that, that wasn't my case necessarily, you know, like, I feel like, like the home was really good. Like we were brought up in like a Catholic kind of uh, family, a Portuguese Catholic. Right. So mm -hmm. like for us, like parents would, you know, take you to church, they would also attend and then, you know, they'd come back and drink and kids would kind of watch that. So like, just from like a young girl, I used to sit behind our bar and kind of mm -hmm. smell alcohol. But I think what happened for me is my parents got a divorce when, uh, between sixth and seventh grade. And my mom, mm -hmm. you know, she was young. She had my sister at 13 and had me at 17. Uh, okay. She had to move like to my grandma's one bedroom trailer where we all had to like commingle and live. And, and, you know, I had to start like this new school. And I think for me in the beginning, and, and I do bring mm -hmm. it back there because this is kind of like how I, can remember and kind of like see how the progression starts for mm -hmm. me like I remember going to you know Canyon Middle School and I didn't really know anybody I think I knew one <laughs> right. person yeah. and uh the people who like grabbed on to me and not not necessarily like grabbed on to me like uh, come on come with me but like right I think over you know over like a, a little period of time the people who I gravitated towards or gravitated towards me was people that were smoking weed and drinking you know so right I think that's how we became friends yeah <laughs> probably yes I believe so you know right and we both had those two things in common at a young age right right yeah and, and that's yeah. just kind of like how it started it was more to kind of like fit in I think in the beginning you know, yeah. because other people are doing it. You really don't know nobody. So you're trying to build like a connection and, you know, alcohol and drugs are like a kind of a way to start that, you know, it makes you mm -hmm. a little more friendly, less anxious. And I think from there, like, um, things just progressed, you know, I remember being, yeah. uh, you know, like, and, and you probably can relate to this, like forties of old English in Cisco, like that's where it started, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah, and, it was. Um, by ninth grade, like, you know, I, I started dating a dude who was a drug dealer and yeah. And that shit got really abusive. And, um, and then I got into those drugs that he was selling. And I think from there, it kind of just went downhill. And I also mm -hmm. got pregnant at 13. And I think for me, um, you know, you can't really talk to like people that are 13 that aren't pregnant and be like, Hey, I'm going through this. Uh, right. Can you help me in some way, you know? And yeah. I come from a Portuguese family, so we're very shut off. It's all about behind closed doors. And yeah. I think making a decision to not keep that child, like, triggered something in me. And mm -hmm. um, so for me, I think that's where, like, the addiction part started. Um, so okay. where, you know, I started doing things to change and alter how I feel, how I felt, you know, like being a, an abusive relationship, uh, mm -hmm. having, like, you know, an abortion, like, 
Um, and it just kind of just kept progressing from there, you know, like I became that girl who, and you, you, you knew me at this stage in my life, I think too, Kat, like where, yeah. you know, I got yeah. kicked out of school. I went to continuation school. Like I was right. Cause we were friends in high school and then we both ended up at the continuation school and it was kind of like, right. You know, so, it, you know, then we were friends during continuation. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for, for like being in an abusive relationship and just a really toxic relationship, I think it happens to so many young girls and, and so many young girls don't know how to deal with it. And, and then it kind of leads them to other like toxic behaviors and just a spiral of, you know, emotions that they can't handle. Yeah. So, I mean, I know I've been in a few and, you know, and same you know, we both kind of had the same life experiences, you know, I've had to have an abortion too at a young age, you know, but it was something that um, I don't regret because at the time me and Louie weren't ready to have a baby, you know, but you know, it is something that I live with, but you know, what do you do? (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) You know, you accept it and you move forward. That's what you get to do, you know, and I think that being so young and being put in those situations, you're right. We don't, we don't have like, I I didn't, and I don't mean to say we, because again, it's just really about me. I didn't have like the, the tools I needed to like feel emotions and, and, you know, process things. Like I I didn't know how to do that. And so for me, I just kind of kept stuffing everything down you know, right. and uh, when you're stuffing things down, you're not one, you're not walking really through them. Uh, you're just putting a bandaid over something till something else happens. And then you just keep stuffing things down, you know, and yeah, I think that that's where like really drugs and alcohol play a part because they help you forget. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, the progression just kept going from there. It really did. Yeah. Um, how, how did you like get out of the relationship? I jumped the- into it. I jumped into another one <laughs> because that's Difficult. also a way of getting through, again, not feeling right. right. Like I just, I'm going to keep moving because I don't want to feel these things. Cause if I have to feel them, I have to take a look at them and I have to acknowledge that they're real, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, it took up until I got sober actually and working with a sponsor where that part of my life, uh, when I was young and being abused, having guns put to my head, getting locked in cars, like it yeah. took up to that point when I was 31 to actually really look at that and be like, Hey, that was, that, that was trauma. And yeah. uh, I never had to not acknowledge that before, you know, like my thinking yeah. was just like, move on, keep going, keep going. And you know, that sponsor had me take a, like, she stopped me and she said, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to talk about this and we're going to mm-hmm. walk through this right here, you know? And that was kind of rough because it brought all those feelings up that I had been running from for a long time, you know? Yeah. 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 We all have, I mean, some people have some real major trauma and I know I do like, um, I plan on talking about it more, you know, with the podcast and stuff and trying to give, you know, my like life story, but some of it's just really like too painful to even like look at verbally. Yeah. Yeah. Or to even like, remember like to verbally go through. So, um, you know, I like applaud you for acknowledging it and speaking about it because I know it must take a lot of courage to do it. 
you know, to just even stay it. And I huh? even played a part there, right? Like I played a part there. I became like abusive too, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, that was like my defense mechanism. You know, if if I could hit you first, then you won't you won't mm-hmm. hurt me. You know, so yeah, I think a lot right. of people have trauma and they don't really ever walk through it. You know, because it is painful. Um, yeah. But I do know that that also, you know, shapes and molds uh, how we interact with other people. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so it was really cool to kind of take a look at that with a sponsor. It really was really cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Because when I was growing up, I used to I had a friend, uh, like a really close friend who her dad was um, an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic. And we used to go to like yeah. meetings. And we used to go to like the teenage dances because it was, you know, um, what they did. And I remember like back then I would be like, oh, God, I wish my dad would stop drinking because there was like numerous times that he would, um, you know, come home and, you know, get physical and just um, be, you know, very like angry or and sometimes not um, physical, but just uh, emotional, you know, so. Um, and you know, and he was always getting (laughs) pulled over. He never got arrested for some reason. He was always that guy who was able to get himself out of shit, you know? So, so he never got arrested, but I remember there were a few times where he had to do like the, you know, is he drunk? Is he not drunk? (laughs) DUI, you know, I don't know if back then they didn't have breathalyzers or, or what, but you know, he would always somehow kind of get out of it. Um, but it went on to about maybe until he got, uh, diabetes mm. and that's when he finally stopped drinking. Cause he knew it was like, um, kind of messing him up, not just, you know, who he was, but f- physically too, you know, his health was starting to deteriorate. So right when, when would you say that, like, you, like, when you got out of the abusive relationship and then you just kind of like, um, you know, kept going through the emotions and, um, look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously. And six, one, since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That relationship uh, with Daisy's dad, it just, you know, we, we did a geographic to Idaho, and I came back, you know, like three to six months later as a single mother. And I think yeah. from there, like, that's where I really found, like, the love of alcohol. Um, because mm-hmm. I was so angry. I was so angry that, like, you know, you make a a pack with somebody that you're going to have this kid and you're going to have this life. And then they kind of like, you know, I was young. They, he, he kind of left me to raise uh, my, my daughter on my own, you know? And um, I found right. a bar that used to let me in. I was, I went to a massage school and this uh-huh. bar, it, it let me in. I was, you know, 19 years old and, and I was able to go into this bar and I, I was able to start drinking. And I think from there, like, that's where I really used alcohol to kind of like just numb my, myself out from life, you know, and mm-hmm. it progressed. Like, um, it, it didn't stop. You get what I'm saying? Like, I didn't just drink yeah. more times happen. I drink all the time. And yeah. I, I didn't know that, like, I was an alcoholic. What I thought was 
an alcoholic was somebody who had lost everything. I thought it was someone that was living on the street. Um, right. So I didn't fit the the idea that I created in my head of an alcoholic um, because yeah. I was able to financially support myself and my daughter more so because I had to, there was no one else to do it, you know? Right. Um, right. And, and I drank like that for a long time. And I, I think some of it was, you know, I'm drinking at you, not you, but like whoever pissed me off or, or whatever yeah. it is. And I was the one that was suffering. No one else was suffering. Um, but me, yeah. you know, like I kept losing myself and, um, as a result of doing that, like emotionally, I was not available. Like I wasn't available for my daughter, like financially and physically. Yeah. Being there, but emotionally I was just checked out, you know? And, yeah. um, it, it took a long time. I got sober when I was 31. So you can imagine, you know, the things that I yeah. had walked through in that time, you know, like uh, sleeping with people you didn't know, waking up with people in your bed, like, who are you? You know, I'd go to right. the bars and, and, and drink to where I was blacked out, but I wasn't the blackout drinker that was falling everywhere. I was the you blackout. You were like still moving. Still moving. And, and I go into yeah. bars today because I love singing and I see those girls cat and it, it breaks my heart oh. because that's where, that's where those things happen, you know, where women get right. raped and they get, you know, like abused and right. um, my heart hurts, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think toward the end of my drinking, I, I don't know. I, you know, you, you get to a space where it's like, God, it, I, I, there's something wrong here. You know, there really yeah. is something wrong and I couldn't put my finger on it. And, um, you know, this dude came into my life and, and he was sober and, you know, he kind of like introduced me to uh, somebody living like a sober life. And it was really attractive, not necessarily him, although I love him very much, but like I took him mm-hmm. to like this banging party where everybody was doing like coke and drinking and fighting. And this dude was sitting there <laughs> are like enjoying himself. And again, this is my perception, you know? Right. Um He's like, these guys are idiots. Right. right. He was probably yeah. a shit show. It was a shit show. Yeah. That's probably why he had a smile on his face, right? Like drama right. and chaos. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I remember waking up one day and I was throwing up and I like looked in the mirror and I was like, man, like I can't blame anybody else anymore, you know? And yeah. yeah. Like I had that realization that like I needed help and I didn't think like this 12 step program was going to be the answer. I really did think that like, you know, if I just stopped drinking, I would be okay. And that's not what happened. You know, things got worse. Uh, Emotions start coming to play. I start getting anxiety and panic attacks. Like everything I had stuffed down Mm -hmm. from the age of like 11 until 31, like was resurfacing, you know, and um, it was, it was horrible that that feeling was horrible. Um, But I also knew that I could not drink anymore, you know, um, because do I wasn't you, facing anything. Do you feel like you hit rock bottom? Because you always hear that saying like, oh, they have to hit rock bottom or they have to hit like some kind of breaking point where they know that their body just can't do it or they can't do it anymore. And there's nothing else but to get sober. Do you feel like you hit that moment? I, or I, I think emotionally I hit that moment. You know, every okay. story's different, right? Some people... Right they lose everything they're in and out of jail um mm-hmm. you know they're they're driving drunk and they kill somebody like that none of that was yeah. my experience you know right but right emotionally like I was just so numb to things you know like yeah. um so I do think that I hit an emotional bottom right. but like uh an outer appearance kind of bottom I don't think that that's just not my story I didn't go to jail I didn't get a DUI you know like those right. aren't, th- that that's not my story but emotionally I 
I was done. Like yeah. I was done being numb and being rude and mean and selfish and self-centered. And uh, yeah. I just wanted a different way of living, you know? Right. And um, I got to, to um, get sober after that, you know? Yeah. And it's been a pretty cool journey. It really has. Yeah. Awesome. When you started the 12 step program, like, did you know, like, I'm going to do this or were you like, Oh man, I'm not sure if I can. Was it like, <laughs> How did you have that mindset like to become sober? Well, I, I for sure was like, yeah, this is not for me. I remember uh, this gentleman taking me to a meeting and I sat there and I was like, this is like a fucking cult. People are, <laughs> like, cult. People are hella like happy and I'm like miserable <laughs> because I don't have alcohol to make me feel a certain way. Right. And, uh, I remember walking away like, yeah, no, this is this is for some people. But again, I thought I was better than people like, but it's not yeah. for me. You know, um, but like three months after that, like I said, I was, I was going through a real emotional time. All those feelings were coming up. I was crying. I was depressed. I was laying in bed all the time. I couldn't get out of bed. I used Mm -hmm. to have to go sit in the bar just to be okay because that was my lifestyle. Wow. So you would just sit there, but not drink. I would sit there and, you know, good thing for friends being bartenders, uh, like really good friends. Yeah. Uh, She would serve me coffee and she would just talk with me, you know, and, Yeah. And then I went back, I went back and I went back on my own and they kind of suckered me into a service commitment. Um, I walked into a meeting and they say, Hey, can you make coffee? And I was like, sure. And then when I left, uh-huh. they said, we'll see you next week. And and I, I was kind of angry because I didn't understand what that meant. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't think that, you know, this, this program was going to be for me. And yeah. um, the great thing about those people who did that is it, it, it allowed me to keep coming back to this one meeting Mm-hmm. And being of service in some sort of way, like just serving coffee to other drunks. And mm-hmm. um, and then I heard what I needed to hear. You know, I, yeah. I, I heard that you don't have to be a homeless person or somebody who's lost everything to be an alcoholic. You know, like you, yeah. you lose control at a point to where you have no choice in the matter. And and I feel like I crossed that that line when I was in my teens. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So then when you started going uh, to the meetings were, and then you were hearing like, you know, them talk about stories and you were like, okay, I can see myself doing this. Like, I feel like what, cause at first you're saying like, you felt like it was a cult or mm-hmm. it wasn't for you, but like, what kind of made you feel like, was it a certain person? Was it a mentor or was it just the whole group environment kind of made you feel like, okay, they understand me. They're yeah. going to help me. Yeah. I think that it was the collective group. I don't think it was any individual person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that by listening to other people talk about alcoholism, talk about like the powerlessness and, you know, um, talk about how, you know, we don't know why we do this, but when we have children, like, it, mm-hmm. and, and I think this is what I remember vaguely is like someone talking about like, you know, um, you know, I was going to be spending time with my child and, and I needed to get drunk. So what I did was I left and I left my child behind so I can go do that. Wow. And I, did, I did that many times, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I, I, I had to get drunk. Like I had to get drunk, you know, and yeah. I didn't really understand that. So I kept hearing little bits and pieces like that, that just kind of like man, that, that kind of sinks in, you know, especially yeah. if you've done that. 
Yeah. Um, it just really sinks in. It's like, man, like I have those same behaviors, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think it was the collective group. I think people sharing their stories and their experience and um, also sharing like the road of recovery. I think that, that mm-hmm. was inspiring. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you don't have to live like that anymore. Like, here's the things that we do to walk through all these different life ex- life things that happen without drinking, yeah. you know? And right. It was, it was like attractive. They talk about, a, um, you know, it, it's not like a promotional thing. It's like more of a, attraction. It's attraction, you know? Right. So, yeah, I think that it was the collective group. Right, right. I feel like collective groups, like, no matter what it is that, you know, um, makes you feel welcomed you know if it's like a spiritual group a group with anxiety you know maybe a group that has experience with depression or grief that there's always somebody who or the group all together that will kind of make you feel like address the feelings that so many of us suppress right and it's you know and I feel like there's just so many um, people who are suffering from so many issues like all kinds that we definitely like need more resources more you know I don't know it just seems like there's so many people who could help from more instead of less and it's just you know hard um when you decided like okay you know this is for me and now I'm not drinking how did you deal with the anxiety and the depression do you You are you still suffering from it? Like, um, like you were in the beginning or that's a really good question. It's so funny, Kat, because like I I was having like these panic attacks, right. Where I'd have to like sit Uh in a dark room and just to be okay. And I remember Uh going to the doctor and the first thing that they tried to prescribe me was some sort of like depression or anxiety medicine, like Lexapro or something or Xanax. I don't remember what it was, but my uncle, my uncle's a therapist. And I remember talking to him and like, you know, they're giving me all these, these pills and I've never taken pills before. And he basically, and again, this is just for me. There's people that need that medicine, but me, I've never taken it in my life. And, and he basically said for me, it sounds Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you're going to start taking this medicine, what it's going to do is it's going to like put a bandaid on what's really going on, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, I decided to not take that medicine and start working with somebody and just kind of walking one foot in front of the other through all of the traumatic things that have happened in my life, you know? Um, so I think that's kind of what happened. I, I do suffer from anxiety once in a while. Um, I've had to go to the hospital because, you know, I thought I was having a heart attack, but of course it wasn't, but I don't take any medicine for that. Like I kind of sit through those feelings today. Um, but not everybody can do that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I think, yeah, you know, I, I'm not a huge supporter of uh, medications unless I feel like uh, they're preventative for certain conditions. Like I feel like anxiety and depression are usually have a root cause. Like there's a, a, a root cause that more people need to get focused on and address and get dig deep especially you know with self-awareness um self-esteem uh ego whatever it is pride you know whatever it is there's a there's a root cause that is 
causing the anxiety and depression. I mean, there's obviously some people who have anxiety very bad, who um, they may need the medications, you know, or sometimes just to know that they have the medications where if they needed to, they could take it, you know? Right, right. But um, I honestly think that because I've seen people become addicted to um, Xanax, Ativan. Right. Um, and it's like, at what point do you say, okay, now we stopped one problem. You're not getting anxious anymore, but we've created another one. Oh, so, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, we have to address the root cause, you know, what's causing us to feel like this. And, um, I, I, I think some of the medications are just band-aids too, you know, just cover-ups of what, what is really going on, you know? Right. And I don't think I had like a chemical imbalance in my brain. And I do yeah. think that some people, they do. So the, the, the medicine is required for them, you know? But yeah. Me, like ADHD me, or, yeah. yeah. For me, it was not like that. Like, you know, yeah. I didn't suffer from depression. I suffered from trauma that I had to get through. And, yeah. um, I think sometimes the trauma is so painful for people. I mean, I, I've listened to so many stories where it's like, yeah, they never, they never were able to, um, develop, um, you know, like I, this, this sucks, right? Because I have like that attitude because I've done it my whole life is like, get through it, keep going. And some yeah. people they they get so stuck where they, they can't, it paralyzes them. They can't move, you know? Right. So Right. I, I'm about medicine for people who need it, but for yeah. for other people, like there are people and you find a lot of kids these days, like they do get hooked on a the lot pills. of the, the pills. Yeah. Which yeah, is crazy. The narcotics that wasn't, and the, yeah. We didn't grow up with that, you know? No, like we, we just up grew with, like, up with good old fashioned weed and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like Coke and crank. Co- and, yeah. You know, Coke and crank. Shit. And yeah. 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 That was. That was our era was the, you know, like I was, yeah, watching a documentary on the crack generation. It's like, you know, how addicting crack was for the um, black communities and just how it was just like distributed and just how they were placed in jail for basically being addicted to a drug, you know, and it's just crazy you know and um a lot of us you know have our addictive personalities you know because like shopping overeating you know it's all an addictive trait you know and just we have to I guess watch it (laughs) monitor do I have all those addictions still too you know I love shopping I overeat like I I do all that stuff you know it's a way of numbing out too it is yeah it's releasing those endorphins that we crave so much you know right right um so when you went through your program and you started to, you know, uh, like get through the anxiety and depression, like what helped you? Like what, what key things like would help, help you that maybe might help others? Yeah. I think it's a perception change, right? Like, and I'll give you the example, like with Daisy's dad, like I was so angry at him. Like, how dare you uh-huh. uh, leave me to raise a kid on my own and not take any financial responsibility, not show up for her. 
And when mm-hmm. I got to do like that fourth step, what I got to take a look at is like my part in things. And you always mm-hmm. have a part in something, right? Even with the abusive relationship, like I stayed in that relationship. That's right. my part. You get what I'm saying? I use that person also as like a security in some sense. But with Daisy's dad, uh, I didn't know him when mm-hmm. I got pregnant. Like there's my part, right? Like I made a decision to have a kid with someone who I didn't know. Um mm-hmm. What was I, I mean, like my thinking, like, what were you thinking? You get what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like Mm -hmm. like the person was going to stand by you for the next 18 years. So I think like digging into like some of the resentments I had, Mm -hmm. I think that really helped me with a perception change. And and I do think that alcoholics, we get really resentful. We, we make everything about us. And Mm -hmm. I made that about me, like, and, and, and really it wasn't about me. You know, it was, it was my decision to have a child, someone that I didn't know. And, um, therefore, you know, I, I get to be grateful that this man gave me that child because I really do feel like my daughter saved me. She saved me from going down a more addictive drug path, right? Like I did turn to an alcoholic path, but it could have gotten really, really bad. Like you could have been on meth or, you know, or, you know, using heroin or something way stronger. Yeah. Right. So I think the perception change is what really, what really helped me. And then also like helping other people. Like I, Mm -hmm. I'm able to share my story with, with these girls that come in who are broken and beaten up and I get to like, give them a little hope. Like, Hey, one, Mm -hmm. you can, you can get through your traumatic, uh, you know, life experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And two, you can stay sober through that, you know, you can stay sober through that and you can help other people by, the things that you've gone through in life, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been able to, to share my experience with a lot of women. That's and awesome. I think that's like yeah. the bright spot of my spot of my sobriety too, you know? Right. Um, right. I really do think that's, that's the bright spot, you know, because their yeah. experience. Because you're helping somebody when you know, like they're at their worst state yeah, and, absolutely. and you're like inspiring, like showing them, look, we can do this, you know? Right. Like you can do this, but you know, it's going to take like a lot of work, but yeah. how have you, has your life changed since you've been sober? Oh man. Uh, there's a lot of shit that's gone on in sobriety. You know, I've been sober <laughs> for 12 years. <laughs> right? you know, like, here's something I'll share. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I, I really do think that like I got to really experience uh, the addict and alcoholic from a different level. Like my daughter got involved with, I think once when I, when I got sober, she starts smoking weed and then uh-huh. she went down a path, dude. And being a sober uh-huh. person and a mother where you're completely powerless over the decisions that your child's making. Right. Like that was insane, dude. I had to watch my daughter go to jail, you know, oh, shit. she was in there yeah. for a minute. She was in there for a good minute. Uh, right. Her addiction and the people she chose to be around. Right. Like, right. Right. And I had to sit through that. And the beautiful thing is that that little girl is not a little girl anymore. And right. there was a, not, I'm sorry, there was my 12 step program all around us right. where she has like three years sober now. Awesome. You know? That's amazing. And, and those are the kind of things that are like, you know, inspiring, you know? Right. Um, right. So like, that's kind of like an example um, for me, you know? Yeah. I, I think also... You know, when, when you get sober too, like all those people that you hung out with, like I used to have, you know, a group of people that I used to drink with and mm-hmm. no longer were showing up, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. 
and and they were also telling me that like maybe you're not an alcoholic like maybe you just drank a lot i, I don't think people really understand <laughs> right, right. you're alcoholic okay to have another one right right you know so my life changed a lot like uh yeah i think i surround myself with like-minded people so people who right. are in recovery and uh, like live in their life like uh uh-huh. you know i used to take from my parents like i would steal from my mom and my dad and just just to like get mm-hmm. my fix you know like cuz i needed yeah. stuff and and I would spend money so quickly that, like, I, I needed to take their money for some reason. Um, <laughs> You're like, I'm broke. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, I, I got to become, like, an honest person to where, like, I didn't do those things anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result of that, like, I've got to live this life where it's it's full of integrity and transparency. Yeah. And, you know, I remember going to my dad and, like, making an amends to him. And, um basically I told him like, Hey man, like I, you know, when I was in this addiction of mine, like I stole from you, I did this, I did that. And, Uh um, you know, he told me he loved me and that he didn't want anything for me. Right. Like he was a father. Those are the things that fathers go through. Yeah. This is just a small thing, right? Like this is what I did to try to correct my behavior. Like I bought him a cell phone and I paid for it for 10 years, you know, my dad got sick cat and I was sober and I, I, you know, I, I had myself in such a position to where we had an extra room in our house and I had to bring my dad home, you know, right. and I had to care for him. And that's yeah. the real amends, right? That's the real life amends to where it is. Yeah. My dad got sick and I got to care for him and take care of him. And I got to watch, I got to watch him die, you know? And yeah. yeah. Like those are the things that we get to do. If I wasn't sober, I wouldn't have been able to do that. No. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have, you know? Yeah. And do you feel like um, you're at peace with that? You know, the process that went through with your dad and I do feel it. Yeah, I do feel like I'm at peace. Like I miss him dearly. But right. My dad got to see me be a fucking mess my whole life. Right. And then he got to see me be sober and then he got to live in my home and really get to see like how I interact with people and the things that I do, you know, so that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I think amazing. uh, there was a lot of peace there. There was a lot of grief mm-hmm. there. And yeah. I actually get to grieve still. Like you don't just stop grieving. No. Yeah. Like you never stop. You right. know, grief is an emotion that so many of us don't want to address, but it's right. there and it's an everyday emotion is fine, you know? Right. But, you know, it's just what advice would you give to a parent who is seeing their kid maybe going down the wrong path? That's, that's a rough one. That was, that was so painful. Um, I I think, you know, it's important to be open with your kids and talk with your kids about things. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I had people telling me like, kick her out, do this, do that. And I was like, if I'm going to help someone who's walking into a 12 step program that I don't even know, why the fuck Mm -hmm. would I kick my kid out? Right. So I think that I think right. for me, it's like, you really got to take care of yourself. Like people who are yeah. not, I mean, for me, I'm also an addict and an alcoholic, so I can really relate to what my daughter was going through or other people. Maybe that's not the story story. So there, there are programs to help, mm-hmm. to help those kind of people, you know, people there's like yeah. Al-Anon and all sorts of stuff that help you yeah. with your alcoholic child or addict child. You know, it helps right. you to take care of yourself through that 12 step program, you know? So, yeah, um, I, it, it's rough. It's, it's one of the roughest uh, things I've ever walked through uh, wow. in my life was uh, watching my child have to go down the path that she went down, you know? Right. 
because it's like you you've already kind of lived it so you know like what um can happen to her like if yes. she goes you know, in the wrong direction and how I'm sure you've seen people who haven't be, been able to turn their life around and, and kind of have experienced the ones like, like, um, uh, you just can't reach or right. it's not meant for them. Like some people, I don't think, um, they don't want to get help. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And sometimes you have to let that, you know, let you have to accept that. Right. We had uh, um, we had Louis's sister with us, and she is addicted to meth, and she's homeless. And we moved her in, and we tried to help her as much as we could, and we got her a job. But mentally, I don't think she was able to take it in, yeah. or she was, or she didn't want it. Like she lasted about maybe six months. We bought her a trailer. Like we did, we did as much as we could and then it got to the point where she stopped going to work you know and we just had to say we can't anymore support you right you know you have to support yourself and and you know we've had to be very firm with her towards the end of it because um I feel that she doesn't want help so you know I told her like I will never give you any more money if you need help getting into a shelter, I can help you with that, but uh, I can't give you any more, you know? And you can't get sober for anybody else. That's the thing, Mm -mm. right? She can't get sober because you guys are helping her. She's got to get sober because she she, wants to, she wants to. Right. And that's like the, that's the real kicker, you know, Yeah, parents can send their kids to rehab. They, and I've seen it, Kat, I've seen it done so many times. Yeah. Those kids end up overdosing and dying because they never, I mean, they want to get sober so bad, but the addiction is, it's so real. It's so real. Right. Like it's so crazy, you know, like we're going to choose that instead of living this other kind of path, you know, like that's that's what it looks like, you know? Um, Right. Yeah. So sad. It is. Yeah. It's really sad because I see a lot of it in the emergency room Mm -hmm. of, you know, addiction um, especially, you know, with alcohol, we get a lot of alcoholics in there who are withdrawing or, um, found, you know, drunk or whatever. And, you know, unfortunately it's, I feel like when it gets to that level where you're being hospitalized, it's really hard to, you know, save them or get them back. Right. You know, that's right. almost like you need to do preventative, you know. But I don't know how, you know, people have to deal with their traumas and deal with their, um, you know, what they're going through before they get to that, you know, stage, I guess. Yeah, I think that's where people cross that invisible line, you know, and we just keep going. We, uh-huh. It it's becomes the only normal life that we know, you know. Yeah, yeah. What What advice would you give somebody who maybe is going through the battles of maybe contemplating, like, am I an alcoholic? Am I not? You know? Yeah. I think there's like, uh, you know, there's like an assessment you can take, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, the program, a part of there's like questions you can answer. But I think for me, it's like, try controlled drinking, try some controlled drinking, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and be real with yourself about that. Like, okay, I'm going to drink only two drinks, see what happens. Mm -hmm. 
You yeah. Know? Like most alcoholics aren't going to be able to stop it too, because once you put one, you just keep going. Right, right, right. The first drink is what gets you drunk. Um, if you're an alcoholic, in my opinion, if you, if you don't take that first drink, you don't get drunk. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because the first drink is just the starter for exactly for tons of x yeah i definitely i would say probably the past um maybe the past year and a half to two years i've been way more conscious about my drinking because i've seen like whoa you know and i just don't like waking up feeling like crap right like Like, you know, I'm like, whoa, I shouldn't have had all those margaritas. And then now my next day is ruined, you know, and I feel like unproductive. I feel like horrible. And I'm like, okay, so I need to not, you know, drink. And then there are a few times where I would come home from work and we would have like a stressful day in the emergency room. And my automatic coping mechanism was like, let me grab a beer or let me, let me drink some tequila or let me, you know, because I don't want to deal with the fact that, you know, I just coded an eight-year-old or I just, do you know, like, I don't want to deal with the fact that, you know, I just, you know, save somebody's life who probably, you know, like almost killed somebody because they were drinking and driving, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, the stuff that, um, you put on yourself, you know, a lot of us do. And so instead of, you know, uh, uh, talking about the situation with coworkers, you know, we tend to numb it, you know, come home, like drinking and nursing is real. Like there's a lot of nurses who have alcoholic and addictive personalities and problems and I think a lot of it is because sometimes they have traumas and then the work that they are in is like traumatic too you know so I've heard that and I I actually know a lot of uh, nurses that Mm -hmm. uh, they they do have that right because again Mm -hmm. I, I think that you guys are experiencing things that none of us are experiencing right like emergency medicine too like um I know there's a podcast out there. um, It's called Messy Minds. And it's actually a bunch of EMTs and paramedics that are out here in San Joaquin County. And they're trying to address the whole PTSD, um, the whole trauma with the uh, emergency medical services, because it's real, you know, it, it happens and people fall into these um, routines where instead of talking about what we just went through, we're numbing it, you know, so we right. can continue to work, you know, or whatever. So what, what, like, besides doing the assessment, what else would you feel that somebody should do? Like, should they? Um, I, I, I think, I mean, to each his own. And that's the thing, right? Like, I think Mm -hmm. everybody has to come to terms with uh, being truthful to themselves. And um, I I think that if you're questioning it, uh, there could be a problem, right? Because most people who aren't alcoholics, they're not, they're not wondering if they're an alcoholic or not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. They're they're not thinking about that, you know? Yeah. uh, So I I think that each individual has to be like real with themselves and, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to say to like change someone's mind, you know, like I can tell someone, Hey, I think you're an alcoholic and they could be like, yeah, I'm not. 
it's like, okay, right. cool. You know, like right. that person has to have accept that, it. they have to accept it. They have to have, you know, that one thing where it's like, man, I said, I would never do this. And here I am doing mm-hmm. it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are your new uh, outlets? What are your new joys now for, since you're no longer, you know, drinking? Like what, what do you like to do now? Um, I like to do a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Girl, tell us. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think early on in my recovery, I, I became a part of a young person's group. And there was like a lot of people my age uh-huh. and younger. And, you know, like you kind of like create this little family of people who are like-minded and, you know, we went on awesome. many trips, like we would go and drive to LA or go to Vegas, like as a group, of like 20 plus people. Wow. You know? So we still do those kind of things. I'm uh-huh. somewhat active in young people's. Um, right. So like, you know, just showing up for other people is like really huge to me because it's no longer about me. Right. It's not about yeah. me. Yeah. It's about helping others at this point in my life, you know, and I think it's been like that probably for about 10 years. I think the first two yeah. years were about me. Like, how can I stay sober? Uh, you know, how can I apply the steps and tools in my life uh, to allow me to, to, you know, create this environment to where alcohol doesn't have to play a part of it. And then right. everything else after that, it's about how can I help that, that newcomer do the same. Right. I see, like, because I, you know, follow you on Instagram. I see, like, you go to bars a lot. Yeah, I, I love, I love singing. Like, you know, I love karaoke. Oh, awesome! I, I feel like I'm Uh spiritually fit in a sense to where like alcohol is not like where I go to anymore. Like when things happen, I don't think like, okay, let me drink so I don't feel this. It's like, okay, let me walk through this so I can actually get through it, and then that experience is going to help somebody else get through it. You know. Um, but we do a lot of service work. We show up for a lot of people. We go to a lot of meetings. Um, Tony and I just bought a house. So I am creating. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm creating my own space. Like my own space. Love it. Very important. You know, it Um, is, it is. My daughter had a baby. So I'm a grandma now. So I get to kind of nice. Put those kind of (laughs) congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Into her. And yeah, you know, I too love shopping and, you know, so I just, I, I find things that, um, and I see you love plants. Yeah. That's I've like seen... a new addiction. Uh, um, dude, I love it. I, I love the plants greenery too. in my house. Yeah. Like it, it's life, right? Like it is, it is. Yeah. It's life. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great things that we do. I think right now yeah. it's kind of weird though, because like everything's like on zoom and I don't like zoom. Um, oh, cause of the pandemic. Right. Because we need those like social interactions, you know, we do, we and, do. And I'm not, getting yeah. that. you know, I'm not getting that. So I'm just trying to, you know, how, how long are they thinking they're going to have that for? Because I would think that would almost be considered essential. You know what I mean? Where it should be open. I agree with you. I definitely agree. Like with you. <laughs> Walmart, like it always drives me nuts because I'm like, fucking walmart's over open and that's just a cluster of madness right (laughs) how is this other shit not open like i mean i know like there's so much controversy about what's open versus what's closed and but i would think anything that's helping people should be open you know that's that's how i feel I, i think too that like you know some of these places that we go into they're so small and yeah you know how do you really social distance people too you know like yeah I don't know when they're going to open I you know I I think that the restrictions kind of limit us to opening 
mm-hmm. um, and Zoom is like the new the new space to have meetings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, it's really the one cool thing about Zoom is that I can go to a meeting in England and you know, oh wow, be around other yeah. alcoholics. You know, which is really right. really cool. But it's it's not the same for me. You know, it really yeah. isn't. Um, yeah. So I feel like I've you know like I've kind of stopped doing as mm-hmm. many meetings as I would. Um, mm-hmm. Which is it's I'm okay. But, yeah, you know, I, I, it's not something that I want to practice because I really do yeah. thrive. Uh, you know, when when I with the yeah, because I have, fed, mm-hmm. you know? yeah, because I have seen that, and I know I've talked to patients who've said, you know, that they relapse because they don't have meetings, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's horrible, you know, like because of the pandemic, and it's like, yeah. can you reach out to your sponsor? And it's like, well, everything's now, you know, kind of like closed or whatever yeah which i mean covid definitely has its oh it's just such a bad virus all the way around right like and everybody's paranoid i'm paranoid about it too you know you guys are right yeah. there with it which i yeah you know that's very yeah. scary super scary yeah it's it's scary but honestly i just feel like um we're getting more control of it so yeah. hopefully within you know the end of this year is what I'm hoping that they can start to open open up more like resources for people you know because the thing is you know we're all given life and you know we should try to live it as much as we can but you know we don't want to put ourselves or other ones in danger but um, there's certain things that help people survive, right. you know, and people need those, you know, especially like meetings, you know, right. And interaction, you know, we're social creatures. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for calling into this. And I love that saying that you're spiritually fit where you can go into a bar and sing. <laughs> Yeah, not worry about drinking. That's amazing. That is awesome. Would you like to close out with anything? Tell anybody who might be listening any words of wisdom or advice that you could give them? Well, I don't know if I have any advice, but I I do know that if you're struggling (laughs) with alcoholism, there there's help, right? Addiction and there's help. There's people that have been right where you are. And, um, you know, we, we can't, we can't grab onto you unless you're reaching out for help. You get what I'm saying? If someone's reaching, I can grab you and I can pull you in and I can try to help you. But if you're not reaching, there's not much that we can do, you know? So, um, I, I guess my, my hope is for, for people to, you know, come to terms, with addiction and alcoholism and get help. Like you live an amazing life. You get to Mm -hmm. have this amazing life where you're actually like a member of society and you know, you're doing good in the world instead of like um, causing more traumatic experiences for yourself, you know? So right, I I think that's all I could really, you know, end with. Um, And I appreciate you having me on here. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening to Shockers and Cuss Words. And remember to comment, like, share, and follow on Instagram, shockers.cusswords. And everybody have a great day. And thank you so much, Becky, for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, Kat. Have a great birthday. Thank you. Okay, Okay, bye. Bye.